Lacuna, Regicide and Townscaper. This is staying in. I was away at my brother's house at the weekend. We went to a farm. It was wonderful. Thanks for asking. And we fed some goats and we fed some llamas. But the amazing thing about the weekend was trying a new type of chip that I've never tried before. Okay, well, let's reel off the list of chips you have experienced very quickly. So I imagine crinkle cuts, fries, triple cooked. Something off the old block. Yeah. <laughs> um, fish chip board fish and chip fish and yeah micro like potato waffles are we, are we throwing that in there not like the big square ones no that's not a chip um, mm. uh, what are the ones the fry, fries to go tried those ones and Dale rescue rangers <laughs> <laughs> this was a type of chip crossed with a very popular breakfast food Bacon wrapped chips. As a vegetarian, no. <laughs> so, um, so this was edible, I presume, Sam. This type of chip. Yeah, of course, of course it was edible. Breakfast, cross with a breakfast staple. Cross with so a I'm breakfast. breakfast. I'm, th- I'm thinking of cereal. I'm thinking of toast. Or go mm-hmm. the other way, chip butty, because then it's like toast with chips. Yeah. Mm, that's no, no. Baked beans. Beans, no, no. Uh, Pano chocolate. It, it's not. It wasn't chips and something. It was a chip literally crossed with a popular breakfast food like like if you imagine the coating was made out of this breakfast food okay uh okay cornflakes cornflakes wrapped chips cornflakes Corn can flakes. be used as like a <laughs> breaded style they can thing. be they're excellent you can make some really nice uh, chicken nuggets with with cornflakes but um i'll put you out of your misery it were they were they were hash brown chips okay i mean it's potato it's just chip just it's just it's just so what you're saying is it's chips it's potato crossed with potato. You could have just said, Sam, last weekend I had a small hash brown. <laughs> I had lots of lots yeah. of small At which point does it become browns. a chip and not just a small hash brown? When you can easily dip it in ketchup. Have you? I mean, I can very easily dip any hash brown I've ever had in ketchup. <laughs> what kind of a hash it's brown too are you big having? For that kind of, oh my God, I can't hold it with one hand. It's too big. Look, I, think, I think you're missing the point here. They were chips that tasted like hash browns. I don't know if I want that. Yeah. It's also just, it's potato that tastes like a different form of potato. I mean, it's, it sounds too good. They're crisps, but they taste like mash. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you imagine putting your, ha- your hand in a packet of Walker's crisps and it's just, oh. The minute it oh. touches saliva, it just turns into mash. <laughs> Uh, no, it's changed. It's changed my life, and I don't know whether it's I can go back. It's changed your life. <laughs> I don't know. Shout out I to your wife, back. to your son, to <laughs> your family and friends. No, no, you didn't change Sam's life. We were, we were, we were completely astounded about uh, about, uh, about hash brown chips. I couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. You know, I thought that four times squash was the limit of human achievement. And then they've only gone and crossed hash browns with chips. I, mean, it, 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 I can imagine like, you know, that that sequence at the end of Oppenheimer, Sam, where the camera zooms in on him and he's staring at the raindrops <laughs> in the puddles. I imagine that was you at this farm. What have I done? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's one of those things oh. I went to a farm and all I came away with was a hash brown chip. Oh, that's well worth visiting. This is what they farm. <laughs> well, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Benji, on this show. Uh, obviously, we only get people on the show who have vast amounts of radio and podcasting experience, which I'm sure your CV stacks up. Don't know if yeah, it's that farming, cookery. <laughs> but thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's good. Yeah, we were, we were, we were, we were speaking before, just before we start recording about hospital radio. How, how long did you do hospital radio for? I think I did it for about two, two and a half years. And genuinely, part of the reason I stopped is because they <laughs> had to level the hospital. They just, des- they destroyed it. <laughs> Uh, not because of not because of the dreadful radio, but because mm. it was just it was just because the radio down. would have to be pretty bad for them to say, you know what, it's just not worth saving. Like if we, we have we're to just suffer, not, we, yeah, 
we're, Close we're the not, doors. It, we're done. It's not worth... Stop the chemo. Stop everything. This this radio is really bad. <laughs> yeah. Were you playing along right until that plunger goes the, down? And the just... final moment. The final yeah. moment. The captain, the captain on his ship just like they're saluting. Yeah. <laughs> what, it, in fact... It's that one of the songs you can't play a radio, Final Countdown, Europe. There we go. So we were talking about songs you cannot play on hospital radio. Final Countdown, Europe. Should it be on the list? Yes. Was it on the list? <laughs> Absolutely not. So there actually is a list. There act- was actually a list. We had oh, it, my we had it word. Out in, uh, we had it printed out in, I was going to say Wingling, not Wingling. What's the, um, <laughs> what's the font? The like, Comic Sans? The font Comic Sans, yes. primary yeah. Font? We had it printed out in that on the wall directly and, in front of our desk. And is it, and my only last question before we start guessing, is this like, because I've read lists made by such wonderful bodies such as Ofcom, where they list all the words you're not allowed to say on, on right. radio. Is this a nationally prescribed list or was this just one made by your hospital? I mean, it's Comic Sans, Sam. Comic Sans. <laughs> well, I direct right, your attention to Comic <laughs> yeah. Sans. I mean, in the early 2000s, the government were putting out things in Comic Sans for a good period, I think. But no, okay. this was okay. largely, I think, made up of people on the Request show, which I worked on, who had got really tired of having to awkwardly have conversations with people about playing those songs. So they were like, yeah. we should just make a band list. We're just, we're just banning them. We'll write them off. Okay. So my second guess would be there's a song called Living in a Box. No. Also, no. Who's that by? Oh, who is living in a box by? Someone else say something while I look at. I was gonna. I was gonna go with Stairway to Heaven. Stairway to Heaven Good. on the list. Yeah. It's on the list, though. I think unfortunately, it's actually just a banger, and a lot of people just want it because it is a banger. And also, if you are looking for a future career in hospital or student radio, or indeed any radio, Stairway to Heaven is a great one to put on if you need the toilet. I was about to say yes. exactly the same thing. Because it's about, what, yeah. 10 minutes long? It's so long. It might be 12. It's long. Living in a Box is a song, sorry, it's a song by an artist called Living in a Box. <laughs> there you go. I'm guessing he didn't have too many uh, hits. He just thought, you know what, I've only got one good song in me, so we'll go all in. <laughs> he has to change his band name every time. Uh, I've got one, which I... Th- I- I think this is, I'm thinking of the right song, which is The Doors, The End. The one that has, the this doors. is the end, my only friend, the end. I think that's that song. But I feel like that's not a tone that you want to really be playing into a hospital. It's not, but you'd be surprised because a lot of the music there, though the lyrics might be inappropriate, the music itself often quite bleak. That was also not on the list. Because <sighs> okay. unfortunately, I think the list was shaped largely not only by the, uh, by the people who happened to have those conversations, but also by the people requesting as well. And the kind of hospital it was, um, a lot of old people, a lot of people who were out of touch with cool music. So a oh, lot right. of dreadful stuff. Yeah. Oh, so you want non-cool music. This is my wheelhouse yeah. then. Yeah, oh, it's so hard. Left of field here. Let's go. Heartbeat, Buddy Holly and the Crickets. <laughs> <laughs> Not on the list. Should be on the list. Oh, God. Can you remember an artist? As a clue. Yeah, there's so there's there's two in particular that stand out. Okay. Um, there's there's one that I think you'll definitely get. That's quite a big like headline band. If you're into like pop music, if you listen to maybe like a lot of uh, like a lot of Euro stuff, you're, you've got to remember a lot of these records. They're from a long time ago. They passed through charity shop to charity shop. They've gone through dusty bag. They're all scratched oh, yeah. up, and they find their way into a hospital radio archive. And in that archive, you find largely the stuff that your parents have clung on to for a long time with some gaudy covers. I don't know. I need, a, I need an artist. I'll say the Bee Gees. Staying oh, Alive. Staying Alive. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. 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 I imagine that was top of the list. Yeah. Which would have yeah, been problematic considering hard. the advertising campaigns that the NHS created around the song Staying Alive. Was, was, oh, the... the they, yeah, they oh, had the whole thing of... Yeah. Com- performing cpr to the sound if you needed cpr and you heard that playing you just you, you wouldn't have much faith in the people administering it if they had to only had to play the tune whilst they're in the hospital yeah you thought, oh, people like oh what is it i can't remember is it one two three four or is it just one I, what is it ah the Bee Gees. yeah it's like if you're in a restaurant and from the kitchen you hear the chef and he's like 
singing happy birthday to try and work out how to wash his hands. <laughs> I tell you what, this this is a this is a great like game to play in a long car journey. Oh, I've got another one. Let's uh, go. Uh, Eric Clapton knocking on heaven's door. Bingo! Bingo! <laughs> so he- I think heaven is a. I think heaven is a as a kind of a key word that they just type in songs with heaven in no 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 yeah yeah generally anything about knocking on wood uh heaven or uh another one that sticks out was the verve the drugs don't work oh yeah which already it's a dreary song it's not it's not one for a sunday afternoon but also come on guys give me a break it's not the sentiment you want kind of people ill in hospital to be hearing the drugs don't work Nah, not at all not at all but I tell you what, it was a wicked job. It was really good. I've just gone to royalfreeradio.co.uk to see what their uh, band list is. All the songs that you mentioned are on there. There's all, there's some other crackers like Bye Bye Baby, Bay City Rollers, Ooh. Ooh. Um, Die Another Day, Madonna. But I mean, who's, <laughs> who's playing That's that song? Funny. That's pretty funny. <laughs> um, who's watching that film? I know. Um, who Wants to Live Forever? Queen. Um, <laughs> I think my favourite one and my two favourites are She's Gone, Hall of Notes and Another One Bites the Dust, Queen. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Glorious. I discovered Hmm. my love language the other day. What? Sorry? Yeah. Are we finally having our our explicit episode? No, 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 no. Dan, gosh, Dan, get your mind out of the gutter, Dan. The love, your love language. Yeah, so in terms of how you show affection and love for other people, apparently, according to this website, five love languages, there are five types of love language. Oh, all right, okay. Um, what do you think they are? Out of curiosity. Sleepy, dozy. <laughs> Grumpy. <laughs> Grumpy. And dock. <laughs> and dock. Oh, <I'm> naughty. <laughs> like touch? Yes, well done, Benji. Yes, touch. Okay. Which implies that one of them should be taste, and one of them should be smell. <laughs> All the senses. <laughs> just, if, if you ever meet Chris in real life, he just, he just licks you and gives you a big sniff. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be all right with that, depending on where either of them are, I guess. That's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, one must be kind of communication or taught that kind of verbal. Mm. Okay, I'll give you that. Words of affirmation. Dan. Yeah, okay. And you're doing a great job, Dan. By the way, uh, strength of you know displaying physical strength. strength. Physical. <laughs> <laughs> so comes home and says, "I love you so much. Let's arm wrestle." Oh, I don't know. Gifting. Yes, what well a budgie. Receiving gifts. Yeah, mm. kind of gifting or um, like uh, making a grand yeah. gesture. Yeah. Mm. Does it go both ways? So is 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 the language receiving and giving? Like, does it do both? Yeah. So the way I I did. I mean, this was a quiz on five love languages. It's not going to be particularly deep or profound, but I suppose this is the, how the kind of lo- the language of love that I respond to. I suppose really. So the other two are acts of service and quality time. Okay. Yeah. Which one do you reckon I am? I'm going with uh, strength. So this is the one that you like. You respond to. Yeah. You respond to it. So I would say off the bat, no need for 20, 20 plus years, uh, quality time. Correct. I think that makes sense. As someone who has got three people in a room all sat together, you being the fourth, obviously, that's, that's quality time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's quality time. Quality time and physical touch. Those are my top two. The classic <laughs> one-two punch. We dodged a bullet there, didn't we? <laughs> and... <laughs> Oh no, we've broken Sam. <laughs> I <could> just, <laughs> I could just imagine like Chris sitting down with his partner and going, "Do, do you fancy some quality time with some physical touching?" <laughs> yeah, I mean that is basically a transcription of our conversations. <laughs> Talking of quality time and physical touching, Chris, we spent some quality time together. We did, yeah. <laughs> and, when I, and when I left you, I gave you a little hug. Yeah, and there was physical touching involved because we played a game called Lacuna from CMYK, who are the utter geniuses who have brought us monikers. 
yep. and the fuzzies and wavelength and spots. And this is brand new from them. And it's a two-player game. It's an abstract two-player game. And it is, well, it's an absolute delight, isn't it, Chris? It's lovely. Yep. Uh, it's it's part of the list of games which you which is ever growing for you sam which is games which the board is a cloth yes it is it's the second cloth game um it doesn't actually come with washing instructions but it does come in a very handsome tube and i do like games that come in a tube go cuckoo being one of my faves lacuna is a game all about collecting flowers and what you do is you pop open the tube and you unfurl this wonderful blanket almost onto the table it's quite a large blanket actually it takes up quite quite a bit of table space which i wasn't really expecting and then you give each player six of these lovely metal tokens that have a real heft and weight to them they come in this this wonderful pink bag and then what you have then left in this tube is a collection of wooden tokens all of a different color um well different sets of colors so there's seven different sets of wooden tokens that represent flowers and at the top of the tube is basically um, a small aperture and what you do is and this is how you set up the game it's just you sprinkle delightfully like hash brown chips from the bag onto the blanket all these little flowers so they're distributed randomly across the blanket. You might have to move some of them around so, so they aren't sort of clumped together. And then the game begins. And it's a game that takes place in two stages. The first stage is that um, each player in turn takes one of their metallic tokens and puts it in between two flowers of the same type. And when they do that, they just collect the two flowers up and they take them back into their scoring area. And the next player does it, the next player does it. They do that six times until there's 12 metal tokens on the table with still some flowers dotted around. And then the second part of the game is that each player takes all the flowers that are closest to their particular metallic token. And then that's it. And then you score. If you've got four of one particular flower, you get one point. And it's basically someone will always end up with um, four points someone will always end up invariably with three points and that's the game and it's like many abstract games it's you know in its simplicity and in its rules it's kind of mm. like seems like all oh, right okay that sounds good but is it really good when you play it because it really just sounds like plonking things down and then seeing what things are around it but every time I've played Lacuna I've learn a lot more about it and learn a lot more about that you know hang on there's a little bit more going on here there's a little bit more depth to this game than it first appears and yeah there's a wonderful tactility around it and there's a wonderful presentation to it and a and a nice bit of quality time that you're spending with with someone else but there is actually some some hidden depth to it as well do you, do you think the kind of the the nature of the game kind of is is helped by the kind of the context of the storyline around that because obviously the game the idea of it is about collecting um flowers so I've, I've not played it, but I've, I've looked at looked at it and it kind of it's about collecting flowers on a pond at night mm-hmm. which just the the imagery that that evokes is very calming and kind of very delicate and quiet and obviously when you when you're talking about these kind of very tactile pieces evokes kind of the, the tactility kind of triggers all of your mm-hmm. senses whether it's the, the the touch the kind of the look of it it's all very beautiful and colorful and lovely laid out but obviously that that whole storyline behind it is helped by you just feeding into that and i don't imagine it's the kind of game that you'd be like let's just have a quick game of this and you throw it out there not that you need a lot of time for it but you kind no. of been like okay let's just you know what let's have a chilled out relaxed game might have a glass of wine. We're doing bits and pieces. You're not going to spend mm. the entire night playing this, but you're going to sit there just having a nice little thing. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I absolutely, you know, in the same way that you'd put a tablecloth down before having a posh meal, you know, it, it's kind of when the first sort of breaths of Lacuna is you kind of demarcating a bit of, right, we're going to, you know, we're going to spend a bit of time together, you and I here. I've put this 
blanket down. I've put this tablecloth down. This is now something special, something that we're preparing for. And I think, mm. and I think you're right in terms of contextually when you're playing with you know the blanket down in front of you. Suddenly, it's not your table anymore. Suddenly, it's not your. You, you can easily detach yourself from. You know, we're just sitting in our dining room, or we're just sitting in a, you know, in a board game shop or whatever. It makes it very easy to just kind of slip into that shared experience because like you know there's not much evocative theme that comes with lacuna like it is an abstract game and you know if you just took everything away it would just look like chess but the the yeah that that sort of that that presentation to of it does do a massive load of heavy lifting in terms of trying to make it an experience make it something that's shared it sounds quite cozy yeah it's got a bit of a um, Hanabi kind of look to it and the, and the yes. same as tactility. Um, it's got that kind of like stimulating, but in a, in a sort of cozy way, I think is the best thing I'd say. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting thing you say that because it does. It, it reminded me of games we've spoken about on the pod before, Gentle Rain as yep. well. Mm-hmm. And I think it feels ceremonial when you place those metal pieces because they are quite weighty in mark you know quite marked contrast to the quite light wooden pieces that are almost like uh the chits that you get in parks you know there's chunk mm. there's wooden pieces there that feel quite light and you almost feel they're going to float away in this pond and if you nudge them ever so slightly because it, it, it's it's a kind of a spatial puzzle this uh, but a gentle one but placing those metal pieces in is placing them it feels ceremonial in an interesting manner that it's like playing a chess piece but there's no grid so to speak it's entirely imagined between the two, mm. the two of you for your gaze at the table are creating this kind of inter you know interconnecting web of connections here um these these kind of invisible ripples as it were and i was thinking about this sam because it feels like a game that should be like uh, i'm going to use it as your title a chuck it in your bag game which I suppose it is because it will. You can chuck it in your bag, but yeah, the tube's pretty handy. Yeah, but yeah, but you can't, as you say, you can't necessarily unfurl it in like on a train table. But I was thinking it would be really an interesting exercise to maybe not roll the whole cloth out mm. because it reminds me a little bit about those um, those boards of Carcassonne you can buy, which are novelty ones, which are countries with grids on them. So you're forced to kind of work within the confines of the board. And it's really for seasoned players of Carcassonne. I can imagine there's a world in which that would just add an interesting wrinkle mm. to the game, really, about having to do many kind of house rules on top of that, if any at all, really. And I think you could play this all night because the setup is so simple. Yeah. Once you're done, all the wooden pieces go back in the, in the tube, shake it up and sprinkle them back out again. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever played Yikers? Have played Yikers? There's an old... No. There's a- there's a dexterity game with magnets and there's it basically it has similar components but you have like a sack and it's got um three pieces of uh like uh, player mats and like little magnets and you take turns placing magnets like very quite similar um but it's got a dexterity element where you're trying to not have the uh the yikers with a z like uh pushed together otherwise the polarity spins them so it's a bit like cluster yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. Um, but the it has a. You were saying, Chris, about the idea of like playing on half the mat, and Yikers lets you do that because it has these like triangular mats. Yeah. So when you're placing them, it has a similar kind of vibe of there's no grid, but you're sort of creating a magnetic grid between you. But the mat placement means that you uh, you're not playing over the same defined space. You can always kind of manipulate that to play on a train table small, or you can sort of stretch it out. But much less beautiful, I'll tell you that. It does look gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the visual acuity of all their games so far that I've experienced has been incredibly strong. And that really does add to the experience, I should say, particularly of an abstract game. Yeah. yeah I think so. it feeds into what you said, Chris. Like, it, it looks as though it when you put like the, the pawns down and stuff, you want to put them down really gently. Kind of you, you want to kind of maintain that kind of consistency. I want to be gentle. I want to almost place it silently on the, on the board. I'm just going to go bonk not going to do that i'm going to just be kind of be one with the game almost it's really interesting mm-hmm. i think the the language of the game is really clean as well which really helps because how the scoring works is that if you have four of, of one particular type of flower you know that you're gonna 
you're going to get that point because the other player can only get a maximum of, of three more. And because you're picking up flowers as you're going and placing them in your scoring area, you can see at all times how your how your opponent is doing in terms of collecting flowers. So the moment they've got four, you can always go, right, that's it. They've got that point. I'm just going to move on to something else of the game. So it has such a clean and clear language to it, which means that on my part, like I never really felt like I was frustrated with the game at any point like I was really chasing anything because I just knew at all times where I was where I was in terms of me versus my opponent and so how long does a does a game take because it doesn't it shouldn't strike me that it would last very long so obviously if you're gonna if you're gonna play over an extended period you're playing lots of games which then kind of feeds into kind of uh, is there kind of an exhaustion of the game or is it something like like Suro where when I play that game I the game lasts like no time but kind of like I'm happy to just start again because there's no I never feel like, even though I play with other people I never feel like I'm against anyone in those games it's just it's a it's a kind of a challenge to myself how long can I keep that on the board so is there a similar thing with with this that prevents it from be kind of becoming exhausted I would say typically first time you play it takes about five minutes second time you play it takes 10 minutes because the first time you play you're like oh just just placing these oh it looks very pretty on the table uh second time you're thinking oh okay now i i know what this game is and and again because the pieces are weighty you feel that once i've played this piece i can't take it back it's like chess once you mm. put the pieces there i can't take it back and you're trying to think okay i'm a little bit like um uh cluster you know when you're kind of placing the piece there you're trying to think, okay, how many wooden pieces am I going to score here? And is there a chance that Sam could play a piece that's just going to squeak in there and steal it from me? And also when you're first playing, your your focus is in a very small kind of area, really. But afterwards, because you know the rule is you've got to play it between pieces, essentially. Well, these pieces, if you can draw a straight uninterrupted line between them, could extend really far. And there's something really satisfying about discovering a pairing that you've not noticed before, plonking it in there. So 10 minutes, I would say. It depends who you're playing against, really, because Sam's master strategist, you know, I can see <laughs> his, you know, the cogs are whirring there. You think, oh, I could, oh, I could go there. 10 minutes. Benji, Benji. <laughs> yeah. Do you like towns? I prefer towns to villages. So I okay. think the hierarchy is cities, then towns, then villages. Okay. Do you like landscapes? Love landscapes. Again, Lovely. the hierarchy, landscapes better than portraits. Well, I experienced the digital equivalent of what Sam experienced when you combine a hash brown with a chip, and that is Townscaper which is a game I've wanted to play for quite a long time. I mean, is it a game? Oh, I'm not going to get into that conversation. The developer calls it something more akin to a toy. And this is uh, Oscar Stahlberg. And you can get it on pretty much all devices now. And I found the game particularly useful when I had an overnight flight that was delayed by two hours. Mm. And I wanted something that felt like I was playing a game, but wasn't something that had lots of text in it had no narrative and wasn't going to tax my cognitive faculties too much. So I'd lose things like my boarding pass or my passport or something. Um, but at the same time, I was doing something that was changing, that was distracting um, while I was waiting for my gate to be announced. Mm. Um, have you played it at all, Benji? Have you heard of this game? No, I've, I've read it online. I've had a look at the Steam listing for it. And it looks like um, a bit like Dwarf Romantic if you took away... Yes. If you took Very away so. the game. Very much so. Yeah, that, that's a perfect analogy for it. And we've talked about Dwarf from Antique already on the pod. And it's one of the reasons why I think I went and bought this. And it was also dirt cheap. I think I got it for like £4 in the Switch Ooh, store yeah. or something like that. I love that. Um, and it takes place in this infinite sea. And you just click on the ocean. And once you've clicked on the ocean, a square of dock appears. And it's not like a, a random square that is feels like it's incomplete you know you click on that bit of ocean a perfect fully rounded bit of dock just appears almost like it's floating in the ocean if i click next to that little dock that i've made 
there's a, a beautiful pop sound and it just extends it's almost like cells dividing it's really quite nice to watch and as it pops you get you see a little bit of animation of like bricks flying in the air as this thing has just suddenly appeared if i click on top of it i get a building on top of that i click on top of that again i get another building it extends and you get towers and things like that mm. if i build a a kind of a sea wall and surrounds it um grass will eventually appear there and that is essentially the game there's a little menu to the left where I, on the switch i can just use the um the direction buttons to cycle through colors so next time i click the dock or the building itself will be this particular color and it respects physics so if i was to build a building that was an upside down l-shaped and that that bit that overhang that comes out immediately like this long pier strut below it will hold it in place until i click elsewhere say for example i mean that is it and it's i think it's quite telling that it's not called cityscape it's a townscaper mm. so you're not seeing lots of skyscrapers there's no glass there's no kind of kind of modernist kind of architecture say for example it's like a quaint very much like Dorf from Antique, a mm. kind of a quaint kind of European kind of town, really. And it's also quite interesting that there's no people, there's no cars. Oh. And there's seagulls and stuff flying around. But what I'm what, what I quite like about the fact that the absence of people and cars is obviously it's very it saves them a lot of time making the game. But also Unlike SimCity, where you're halfway building a road and there's traffic waiting for you to finish the road, you don't feel that sense of urgency mm. as you're playing it, really. And it is just really kind of satisfying. And if you want, you could just randomly click on it without looking at the screen, just look back up this monstrous city or town you've made. And it, you start to, well, I find this, as soon as I start to build a miniature world, I mean, I do it playing Carcassonne, you start to imagine, okay, well, why do they build the city this way? What kind of people live here? How do they go about their daily commute? Because it just doesn't seem, you know, it's grown in an organic fashion as opposed to being this kind of regimented grid. If our friend Pete was here, he would have just made this the most, and I love him to pieces, but his urban planning is <gasps> dictatorial, let's be honest, Dan. Yeah, I've, over, over many times we've played Minecraft as a, as a group, without fail, we've all been doing random things and we've come back just to find Pete has built the a giant block tower made out of dirt and that's he's just spent hours doing it and that's his kind of his thing um i i've seen this game before i i think what attracted to me before is the, is the look of it i think it looks absolutely stunning like just it's all kind of animated kind of pastel colors kind of architecture in terms of their advertising anyway kind of leads into that kind of european kind of aesthetic of kind of like what i think of as the like of kind of greece and stuff like that not necessarily in terms of colors but that kind of really relaxed environment what what i wanted to know is because i always kind of thought of this as a game i mean this in a good way where you just kind of perhaps start it have a create a, a small area around the dock and then maybe go away and then come back and be like you know i'm gonna sit here and i'm gonna add a few streets and i'm gonna go away and I'll come back and add a new... I know it's kind of imagining something like on a on a iPad device and all that would be perfect for that. Does it? Would it work in that way, that sense of kind of just constantly building as opposed to sitting down and having a, a, a session on this game? Just having this thing of just constantly every now and again just dropping back into it and you end up with a situation of like six months later and suddenly you have this huge expanse that you've just built up over time. Would that yep. that, that work? Because that, yep. that was always quite intriguing to me. Yeah, mm. I discovered this today. Um, again, there's lots of stuff I've just only discovered today in this game by just seeing what other people have done. Like, I didn't know you get fields in this game because I've not worked out how to make that yet. Um, yes, and also I discovered saves. So I didn't realise every time I left the game it was saving what I did last time, which, God, I mean, in Faro Airport in Portugal, God knows what I was making. But I saw a guy today, I watched a YouTube clip of a guy who does like a YouTube series on urban planning and urban design. And he had, he was taking like a particular historical approach for urban planning from America and replicating it in townscape. Interesting. Which is really interesting because like, it's, I suppose it's like when the developers of Minecraft saw people going off and just trying to push it to its limits and do these extraordinary things because, you know, the, the, the net you're drawing on or making, building on, I should say, is fairly infinite, I would say. The only drawback I find is because I'm playing this on a Switch Lite, 
portable, which is really useful for the touch screen. Pop, 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 pop. But if you want to kind of take in the splendor of what it is you've made, you really want to see it on a big screen. So that's the kind of trade-off I'm finding here. I, I can I can pinch zoom and I can go really close and I it's really intuitive. I can kind of like um, look at my uh, my town from all angles, but I'm 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 finding that there's a lack there of the spectacle that I kind of want um, to see really. There's an interesting thing where games are constantly trying to build up and up and up and you accrue resources and build something. I think it's fascinating to me the idea of trying to strip away some of that and trying to say, instead of um, trying to hoard resources, where am I going to use them? Say, no, no, you, you have the resources. You're playing The Sims and you've got infinite money, but what do you want to do with it? But the idea of like, where do you draw the line and say, this is done? Like, how do you decide that that's your project complete? At what stage? Do you have any idea of where that will be for you? It's interesting. Like, I must admit, I, I, I when I play this game, it, it's more the case of just, it's almost like a, um, a little bit like a cookie cutter game where I really just want to experience the feeling of making something and creating something mm. without a view as to what this will look like. I have mm. no game plan whatsoever. Um, I'm just randomly clicking through colors that intuitively feel right in that moment, almost like it's a form of automatic writing or automatic painting, really. Automatic like making music or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. And I feel I, I feel this buzz of creativity and it is a short dopamine hit of some mm. sort, really. And I love the fact, as you say, that they found it, they've created a game here which distills the thing that I'm drawn to, um, which is I want to see a miniature city or town that I've made. Have you been able to play the thing I got you for your Secret Santa? Oh. Your, journal, your journaling thing? That solo RPG bought me? I haven't yet, Dan, no, because of the RPG that I'm running with you and Sam at the moment. But I, I literally came across it the other day as I was reorganising all my solo RPG stuff. I've still not played The Wretched. The only one I've played so far is A Thousand Year Old Vampire. It's good. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm really am drawn to solo RPGs because I like the fact something that comes in what is quite a very small, often very well produced book contains within it this kind of multitude of different worlds, really. And I can replay this and I will get a completely different experience depending on where I am in my life at that particular point. I have one that I've been working my way through slowly called Miru that I found on uh, Twitter. Miru, M-I-R-U. And I found it because there's a there was a Kickstarter for a sequel to it. And it's a classic kind of map making solo RPG. You're sort of moving through hexes. Um, so it's map making, but it's also journaling. So it kind of combines two of the big solo RPG things. I played a lot of um, uh, Avery Alder's uh, big map making game, um, which I really liked, which yeah. name evades me. Um, but I played a lot of a that. Quiet year. Thank you, Sam. Yeah, a quiet year. I really enjoyed the map making of that. And it kind of has that feel, but with a bit more solo focus because of the journaling. And you sort of have a story that's told day by day, and you're slowly sort of not only plodding across a map, but uncovering things, like these little tiles that you're finding. And like you were saying, Chris, about the idea of sort of forging your own narrative through the points that are sort of randomly thrown out, you do kind of tie those points together with your own narrative that isn't there. And slowly as you play more, you end up writing more and more narrative because you're so invested in the things that you've, you've built up, narratively speaking, that connect the dots. So, well, I went from A to B, so it means that by the time I'm at C, well, obviously that affects what happened at A. It's really nice. And it's quite a light theme for Miru. Um, the sequel to it's kind of this uh, slightly more like sci-fi horror thing, which I haven't picked up yet. So the first one's uh, much more straightforward, like sort of fantasy apocalypse thing. Um, but the art style is really nice for it. It's very yeah, like it's really clean, minimal, yeah, clean zine kind of thing. Um, but it's got quite a striking, like I'd refer to it as like a striking analog aesthetic. Um, it looks very much like someone who's um, like released something on like a cassette tape. It's that kind of vibe. Like they've made their own record yeah, yeah, out yeah. on a cassette, which like I really retro, like. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. I found them on Twitter. Highly recommend. I think I think their names like. Hokkaido or something like that but I've had an absolute blast with it because you can just it doesn't feel like it needs too much investment I think a lot of um, things like Thousand Year Old Vampire I think have done really well because it feels like a big juicy product oh yes people like that it feels like this beautiful gorgeous tome but I think the flip side of that is it means sometimes it's a bit harder to pick up because you're like well this needs a bit more love and attention because it's 
it's a real thing. But I think if you've got this zine, it's got a bit more of a stick it in your bag and, oh, actually, I might just, I'll do a couple of days of this and I'll just sort of journal a couple of days. I'm always on the lookout for map making stuff because I like, I've been using um, A Quiet Year with Sam and Dam actually to help mm. me flesh out the world of this RPG we're doing at the moment. So would, nice. this partic- would Miru be useful in terms of actually building your own kind of map for an RPG? It probably would do, because I think specifically because it's kind of this hex um, grid, it means that you've got a space that you can then build onto and sort of add your own areas to quite nicely if you were trying to lay an RPG, a separate RPG on top of. Gives you lots of spaces. It is very apocalypse quiet, though, so that's going to lead itself to quite a specific kind of thing. You could definitely reskin it for sure. It's also great if you want to do little drawings, I think. If you're bad at doing big drawings and you're good at just... I can just happily draw a little house and call that a forest. I, call that a I was just looking at that. It's got that um, same thing that Cartographers does that's really good. Yeah. Where, like, one of the, my favourite things about Cartographers is that it was a roll and write game a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And you, well, it was a flip and write game. So you flip over a card, it's like put a put a forest in. And the picture was just like a little, like two little triangles. And that was the forest. Or, well, that was mountains and a forest was like two sticks and a little like fluffy thing on top. And that was the trees. But that's all you needed to make it like a really interesting landscape that comes to life. And looking at the pictures of Miru, like the, the iconography shares a similar sort of simplicity that mm. it's just evocative enough to make you to make the tiles come to life but yet not too overly complicated that you feel like a bit of a doofus because you can't draw like welcome to dino world is another one that pulled that trick really well where you were making pens for dinosaurs but they gave you like really simple sketches of how to draw the dinosaurs to put them in their pens it's it's Mm. like one or two lines you can make a semi sort of realistic dinosaur and you felt like da vinci <laughs> i think that's a huge thing to overcome for a solo yeah. rpg right is like how do yeah. you overcome the player's potential huge inadequacies <laughs> inadequacies in yeah. both imagination and drawing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i found with um when i played a quiet year i would often play it with quite big groups before like it, before and in between i would play solo of it i would play it with like large people and i would always be the one introducing it I'd play it solo and then I'd be like, oh, it's time to play with a big group. Introduce it to some mm. people. Oh, I want to play it solo again, this me. And the big groups would always have a combination of like, you know when you play Jackbox and you've got that one friend who is so much better at drawing cool cartoons than everybody else. Yeah. And we mm. would have that. So we'd have these beautiful maps where there'd be one person who would either be too distracted because they can draw a wicked dragon wrapped around a castle uh, they would either be too distracted or they would just have to sort of reel themselves in because everyone else was like, oh, our castles are just going to be, like you say, just like a little couple of triangles and we'll call it there. And I think the minimal does work much better with it. And I think that's yeah. where solo RPGs are working much better now is because people are trying to trying to make them smaller and smaller and rein them in so that you can apply yourself to it a bit more without the feeling that there's too much um, pressure on yourself. It's that relaxing thing. So in terms of solo games, Benji, is it mainly the kind of drawing and variants of that you prefer? Or is it the journaling or is it stuff with kind of, I don't know, cards or other kind of components, say, for example? I I like um, I like mixture. I like There's two things I like in solo games. I either like process-driven stuff that's uh, that I know really well. So like I've played an awful lot of Burger Brothers on my own because I know the how it works like it just i can just mm-hmm. do it um in the same way that i can play uh, i've got a combo deck for magic the gathering and i can just solo that because i know the process of all the bits and pieces connecting lovely but the thing i really like about solo stuff is the weird stuff i like all of the obscure things that people couldn't really do because this game can't hold it, it can't hold four or five people so like um i just recently played um void six sixteen eighty a.m which is a, a game where you make a radio show and you make a playlist and you're the DJ in between the playlist, which you just couldn't oh, do yes. with four or five people. The idea of that is phenomenal. It's so weird. Like you have different callers who call in and you kind of have to find a song that will work for a caller. Lovely idea. But that isn't going yeah, into I... your Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition book. <laughs> it's cool. That's amazing. I mean, it brings yeah. us full circle, which I love. Yeah, yeah. We're going back to the radio stuff. <laughs> there's, there's a, oh, that's I think, wonderful. 
other weird stuff um i forget the name but there's a truck driving solo rpg i like which has you leaving voice notes on your phone and each day instead of writing a journal you have to you have to physically record a message to yourself in character to your loved ones back home from a payphone and just that's again that's something other games oh, they're not playing in that space it's really unique is that's a bit like alice is missing yeah mm. kind of like in fact i love alice is missing for that reason though. yeah the idea of taking a, a rpg and saying what if it was phones like what if we were text messaging each other mm. it changes everything yeah. but it yeah. also the yeah, part I... it doesn't change is the core human experience right no no not at all alice is missing is something that um we already need to play actually yeah have you not played it a copy are, are we are we have a copy, but we're just not. I think the subject matter has been the thing that's really mm. put me off. Like, I feel like it's a really, really interesting thing. And I love that idea of, you know, you only communicate via text and you rename everyone in your contact book. And for me, it almost sounds, it's kind of, it's almost like an oxymoron. Like, it's almost like it's a paradox of itself. Like, it sounds really inviting and engaging. And I'd love to, like, show it off to lots of people but it also sounds like one of the most immersive ways to play an rpg like i can see myself because of how we interact with phones and how we interact with that with that space suddenly it becomes i just feel like it could become really immersive and it could become become really involved and especially with that subject matter it's just been one of those things i've kind of tried to well i've just been wary of introducing it the only other thing that you mentioned to me was regicide, oh, which has been oh, inside, which has been, oh. which has been in and out of various shopping carts over the past two or three years. Because Genius part game. of me goes, part of me goes, right, it's just a deck of cards. But then part of me goes, but look at that deck of cards that's specifically made for regicide, and I need to own that. <laughs> so, <laughs> can I ask a question, Benji, about regicide? Yeah. yeah. Is it as hard as it looks? Like, how often do you win at regicide? I personally think it's in the sweet spot, but okay. I think I'm a bit of a, uh, I think I'm a bit of a masochist because I do like your uh, your super meat boys of the world. I can quite happily mm, play, okay. uh, like I'm the kind of person who, I'm not very good at Dark Souls, but I've probably put, I've never completed one, but I, I'm quite happy to just play the same bosses as I get destroyed over and over again. It is very tough. I think that is, that is something you've got to buy into going into it, but it's so replayable. Yeah. And because it's so tough, when you when you overcome one of the challenges, it's it really sings. It feels so exciting. Have you played it, Dan? No, I haven't. Uh, I'm just having just having a look at it now. And to be fair, you describing kind of your feelings towards it related to kind of the Dark Souls kind of world. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, that doesn't fill me with with joy. I recently tried to play. <laughs> Dan, Dan just switched off. I recently tried to play my first Dark Souls type game when I played um, Elden Ring and yeah. I got so infuriated, so unbelievably infuriated that I just kind of went, you know what? No, you know what? No, this is not about being hard. I can handle a hard game. You are actively yeah. making me dislike this game and I don't appreciate it. Tunic is my sweet spot for the for the Dark Souls mm-hmm. style games. That's my sweet spot. I love that game. Nothing nothing any more uh, adult than the small orange fox. Um, <laughs> so no, I so no, I've 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 not I've not played this. I'm not kind of aware of it. So what is it that that makes it so hard? So it uh, it is a deck of fifty two cards, um, and you're going through a fighting a series of a series of bosses who get increasingly more badass as you uh, work your way through them. Um, those being the uh, the suits, the jacks, the queens, the kings. You go through each of them. And it has this simple mechanic where you're, the damage you're dealing uh, relates to the number on the card that you're playing against it. But every time that you attack one of the bosses, they will then strike back at you. So you're trying to sort of line up your values so you can kill their hit points exactly and sort of try and combo them, basically. But the, the clever part of it is that there are there are four suits, and each of the suits has a unique ability. And while you get that ability, um, so for example, one of the suits uh, does double damage. So while you get that ability, there are also the king of the same suit would be immune to that ability. So you're trying to work together um, collaboratively to try and time your attacks between you and combo them at the right time and balance the damage that you're all taking. And you're trying to refill your hands collectively at the right time when your hands are empty and sort of play that together. But the the difficulty is that firstly, sometimes the RNG of a game just will just get you. 
that will just happen. But also it has a communication mechanic um, similar to... Um, uh, what can I it, to? it has it has a lack of uh, communication. So you're told, oh, like Gloomhaven. Gloomhaven says, um, talk to other people about what you're doing as an action. Don't talk to them about the number of the card or what the attack yeah. is you're doing. Yeah. Try and make it flavorful. So Regicide try- says to do the same thing, which you can house all as you wish, but you're discouraged from saying, oh, I can deal 20 damage to this guy if you deal 10. Like, we can finish it off and do that. You're encouraged to say, I think I could take this hit, pass it to me. Uh, can you can you hit okay. this guy? Well, I can. maybe I can save us. And it's that yeah. part of it. The, there's a real rhythm to it as you work through. And I think that rhythm is quite challenging when you're playing together. Like when you're, um, to name another game, like if you're playing the mind and you're all trying to stack up your cards together, sometimes you're just out of sync with the people around you. And although in your head you're counting you know, like one card, three cards, five card, whatever, the person next to you is going at a completely different rate to you. And regicide can be quite similar. If people don't understand the the flow of the numbers as you're going round, I think that can be quite challenging for people and it can be kind of brutal. But because it's just a deck of 52 cards, it means that it's really cheap and it means that you can sling it in your bag and you can just play one here and there or you can just mainline a load of them if you're just a real sucker for, we've got to get that king. We we got two kings in, this time we're doing three. <laughs> so I think the concept of it being cooperative makes it a lot more appealing. Um, mm. So that, like for me, that whole the, those things that are really hard, kind of games that are really punishing, kind of when I'm facing them by myself, that's that's kind of when I kind of kind of push back against it. So the idea of playing it mm. in a group where we can to to an extent discuss and plan, and it's kind of it's not just on me. Um, and I do I do quite like that whole idea of like the communication being quite vague because it in the as mm. we were talking about before, it kind of encourages an element of that role playing element yep. of kind of it's me who's fighting this person it's not me playing a card that's I like kind of a subtle rule like that kind of adding a whole real spice to the game you mentioned your love of a fox and I think that's how I can get you because this game I haven't mentioned that the ace the aces are the aces are animal companions and any of your cards you play you can add an animal companion who comes to join you on your attack and they sort of add their special bonus to whatever it is. And there are indeed very, very cute creatures. Uh, they are adorable. The art for them is beautiful. Each of the different suits is sort of a different, uh, like a different kind of vibe. And as they go up numerically and get bigger, the characters get bigger. It's really cool. So that, so that's now the compelling question: is do I just get the PDF and just have the rules and play it with my wonderful? deck of cards that i've got at home mm. or do i get the bespoke regicide deck like we don't That's all know the answer to this <laughs> 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 we all know exactly the fact that he's probably already been bought or you draw out their designs <laughs> on a typical pack of cards. <laughs> yeah i just get a pack of 52 playing cards and just draw my own so someone that i i play with um we have completely the opposite uh, love of the game so i can happily solo the game because i can play it without a table i can just i can just have the cards and just work them back and forward through a, a deck. uh as i mentioned I'm, i can play a magic deck on my own like i i was on the plane back from gen con and uh someone tapped me on the shoulder and said uh you look like you dropped your cards and you're trying to pick them up but you just haven't worked that out for like an hour because I was just sort of <laughs> manipulating them back. Because like, you can you face these ones forwards and these ones backwards. And if you can keep the numbers in your head like a maniac, then it, it sort of works. But it's one of the guys that I play with absolutely hates all that part of it. Completely doesn't like it. But if we play with the actual regicide cards, loves the lore that like, oh my God, the cardinals arrived. We've got to fight mm-hmm. the cardinal. And there's the idea that, uh, oh, well, these, these are the bird people. And the, there's, there's specific mm. like... Um, like this is the militia, like these specific characters. And that is so evocative, the idea that you're going out on this quest together, that actually the specific regicide art for them is a big draw for him. But it's nice that the two of us can play exactly the same game and we're both getting such different things out of it. So personally, I would say, ah, wait until regicide legacy. But if you love some art and you love your theme and your flavour, then I would highly recommend them because they are beautiful. I'm looking forward to the legacy one to see what they do. So, hold on. Mm. <laughs> legacy? So they've, Go on. Uh, so they've, they've teased that there's a legacy one coming soon, I think, on Kickstarter. 
And I presume that means that there'll be stickers added to cards as you go through. I presume that you'd unlock cards, but I, I don't know. I know as much as the next person about it. I personally would love for cards to be ripped up because I, I really enjoy that about Legacy Games. So, Sam, you'll be pleased to Hello. know that Go on. the supermarket Iceland sells hash brown fries for £2.75. Yeah. Um, I've been looking at 60 customer reviews, Sam. 60 customer okay. reviews. About four and, a, four and a half stars. Most of the reviews uh. are bemoaning the fact that these, these hash brown fries are so good, they're always out of stock. You know, fantastic. Only problem is they don't keep enough in stock. We no longer eat chips, thank you. That's from Michael Kuehl. Um, <laughs> I love these things that people, especially when the like the the comments don't actually say anything, because it. I always think like you've taken time, you've taken time to write this message, and yet the message says mm -hmm. nothing. But you've chosen to take the time to say, "I have nothing to say here." I respect it. People who spend the time to just give something but an average review it really helps me because everyone else is just giving these really contrasting marmite opinions yeah. this is the best thing in the world never touch this with a barge pole i need more people who are boring to say i ate these my biggest pet peeve is people on amazon who answer the question saying that they don't know the answer to the question <laughs> does anybody know if this would fit this i don't know then why answer well oh. benji you're gonna love michael again because six days before michael left that review he also posted another review the same star rating very nice taste no punctuation sorry very nice taste is nothing short of perfect the only problem being is the availability issue for delivery otherwise we cannot thank you enough <laughs> like I, just, I, I i love the fact that michael's using this particular forum as a way of trying to pressure Iceland into stocking more of the yeah. chips that he loves. We cannot thank you enough. <laughs> I mean, it literally has changed Michael's life. Um, this is another one um, submitted by Iceland customer. They were for my granddaughter. She loves them. That's a really lovely thing to say. That's a weird thing to say. <laughs> they they were for my things. granddaughter. For that like, does not what, tell like me present. why I should buy the product. <laughs> that a small girl likes them. I mean, you're not going to like Mrs. B. Hughes' review, Dan. She just says, very nice and polite man and came on time. <laughs> oh, so she's reviewing the delivery. Yeah. Not the, not the specific. That's uh, lovely. And yeah. if you'd like us to move into more <laughs> food-based reviews, then please do let us know by sending us emails at stayinginpod at gmail.com or um, talking to us on social media. I'll just call it now because who knows what it is but instagram is kind of the place where we mainly hang out at staying in pod at facebook and other places um if you'd like more of us in your ears um whilst you're not listening to the podcast then chris um has helpfully put together um three different spotify playlists based off of music from games or films that we may have discussed on particular shows maybe not this one but other ones Sam we did have an entire section talking about songs <laughs> if anything this episode is going to have lots of music it's going to have its own playlist I think <laughs> <laughs> um, so if you'd like links to the Spotify playlist that Chris uh, curated um, and curates and continues to then um, you can find that in the show notes uh, included with this episode Always good to mention that uh, we have uh, pages on Board Game Geek and also on Steam, which will include any and all of the games, uh, be they video or board. So if you're looking for maybe um, a gift idea or you're looking to buy something um, just for someone that you love, you're a gift giver, that's your love language, then um, uh, you can find every board game and every video game that we've spoken about on either of those curated lists and links to the show that they're mentioned in if you want a bit more information. But that is about it for us at this time. Benji, thank you so much for being um, a wonderful guest. You, of course, are a, uh, a wonderful person from Osprey, a magnificent um, publishing house of board games. Um, it'd be remiss of us to have you on this show without a chance to at least 
tell us what Osprey have got coming up, coming out, coming thank, on. Thank you very much for having me. This has been great. Um, I guess this is the point where I should say, firstly, uh, my views and opinions, particularly about hospital radio and pride. <laughs> are exclusively the views of Osprey. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> the bird, don't, don't let the bird know. <laughs> um, you can find everything that we do online at Osprey Games. We're on all the social media platforms, including TikTok now, finally. Um, and if you're interested in some hot new board gaming action, I would mm. highly recommend checking out General Orders World War II. It comes out in October. A beautiful worker placement war game. Possibly the first of its kind. Wow. Wow. Uh, brilliant. No, so yeah, look out for General Orders. Most likely, most definitely, we'll, um, uh, we'll speak about it on the show as well uh, around the time that it's out. Uh, but thank you so much for um, speaking to us Benji it's been a pleasure it has indeed been a pleasure thank you so much it's been great alright then alright then alright then <laughs>